The Lessons Learned for Vets podcast is proud to be brought to you by AFMA, the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association. Established in 1879, they are the longest standing nonprofit association empowering military families with affordable financial solutions for generations. Offering life insurance, wealth management, mortgages, survivor assistance, and other benefits, AFMA is here to support you through every stage of life. AFMA is dedicated to helping service members be financially and logistically ready for life after the military. To support you in this process, AFMA would like to offer you their free downloadable transition timeline, a step-by-step guide to help you create a comprehensive military transition plan. Let AFMA help you get ready for your next step by visiting afma.com backslash LL4V. That's A-A-F-M-A-A.com slash LL, the number four, V or clicking the link in the show notes. Hey guys, welcome to the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, your military transition debrief from the veteran mentors who have gone before you. My name is Lori Norris, and I've been teaching veterans how to successfully navigate their military transition since 2005. I'm bilingual, but instead of a foreign language, I'm a civilian who speaks the language of all branches of the U.S. military. I've used this unique skill to help thousands of veterans, and today I want to help you navigate the hidden opportunities and unseen risks you may face during your own transition from the military. This is the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast. I'm a hiring official as well as someone who who applies for jobs, right? So from both perspectives, I think I can give a little insight. The first thing I would say is apply for jobs that you are qualified for or that really fit closely with your skill set. And then when you're applying for that job, I, I think sometimes the wording of the USA Jobs questions can be really intimidating and misleading because, you know, when I apply for this job, tell us about your experience um, communicating a hospital's blah, blah, blah mission. (laughs) Well, I've never worked for a hospital before. So automatically I might think, well, I'm not qualified for that role, but I am. I just have to remember to substitute my experience. I I, I did all these things for, for the Air Force. And so when answering the questions, what I found is if, the, if you say, oh, I don't have any experience in, in hospital communications and you, and you mark that, you're going to self-eliminate before you even get to the process. So if everything else except for the organization fits what you've done, then mark yourself an expert and let them, let them weed you out at the interview level because it's a computer system and it's going to knock you out if you say, I don't know how to do that. On today's episode of the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, I am welcoming Cindy Dorfner. Cindy grew up in a small town in Indiana and didn't know what she wanted to do with her life. So she joined the Air Force in 1992 and spent the next 21 years traveling the globe, first cooking for her fellow airmen and then telling their stories as a public affairs specialist. She retired in 2013 as an Air Force Master Sergeant and went on to take a PR job in corporate America, leaving that job after just seven months. 
She then went on to work for the state of Louisiana and currently serves as the communications director and public affairs officer for the Phoenix VA. Recently, she received a job offer to move back to Germany, this time to work for the Department of the Army. Cindy completed both her bachelor's and master's degree after her retirement from the Air Force. I am excited for you to hear from Cindy as she shares her perspective on working for the federal government from both a hiring authority's point of view and a job seeker's perspective. Listen in as Cindy tells us the story of how she dealt with being in a role that just wasn't a good fit for her and how she figured out what type of work environment was best for her. Welcome to the show, Cindy. It is exciting to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. So we always start off the show with the same question. So I just want you to tell me a little bit about your transition story. Was it planned? Did it go as expected? Tell us about yours. So my transition story happened. Um, it was like super quick. I, I had kind of been leaning towards retiring um, back in 2012, 2013. And I knew that I was going to, if I didn't get selected for promotion in 2013, I thought, you know what, I'm just done. So um, I got my resume together and then started applying for jobs. That was like March, April of 2013. And I got a, a job interview in April and then a job offer in May. I started, my last day was like three weeks after I got the job offer, my last day with the Air Force. Um, and then a, a week later, I started uh, my civilian job. So it was kind of a wham, bam kind of thing. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like on the surface, it all went perfectly and smoothly, but I think I've known you well enough to know that that's not necessarily the case. And I know we're going to talk about that today, mm -hmm. but uh, so in your transition, I know you had some surprises. Like what, what were some of the biggest surprises for you? So I did, you know, I joined the Air Force right out of high school. So age 18, I'd been living with my parents, obviously, and joined the Air Force. And then this was the first time I kind of had to navigate a less structured life, if you will. Um, it was it was challenging. Um, I didn't kind of know how to fit in to a civilian company, to a civilian lifestyle, to be honest with you. So there were some bumps along the along the way, as you mentioned. And um, I'm I'm a jump in and do it kind of person. So I don't imagine that I would have done it any other way. But I wish I had planned out you know, I went through transition assistance right before um, the test or the promotion results came out. So, you know, I know you can go a year out or a couple of years out when you start thinking that you might do that. I didn't, I didn't do that. So I didn't plan. Um, and it was a little bit, a little bit of a struggle, I think. You mentioned, you know, having a hard time kind of adapting to that non-structured life. And can you give me an example of something that was challenging for you that you were surprised by? You know, I went from being um, a pretty well-respected senior NCO in Air Force Public Affairs um, to just being a, a number at a corporate, um, corporate headquarters, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my boss was very strict about 
shown up on time. And you might think it would be the other way around and the military is more strict about that. But in public affairs, it's a more relaxed environment than I think, you know, for like security forces or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if I had to leave early or whatever in the Air Force, it wasn't that big of a deal or if I was running a little bit late, but it was no kidding. You be here on time or there are going to be serious consequences. Um, It was an an eye-opening experience for sure. And you bring up a great point because a lot of times in the military, they'll give you time off to go to the dentist or, you know, to go do some training or whatever the case may be. And it seems in the private sector, oftentimes you've got to figure that stuff out, either take paid time off to do it or figure it out on it, you know, on your vacation or on the weekends, after hours, whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think just kind of having automatically that time off in the air force, you automatically get 30 days of leave every year when you, when you Mm -hmm. join. Um, I think it took me, I don't remember how much, how much vacation time they gave me, but it wasn't much. And certainly as soon as I started, I had appointments that I had to take care of because I was going through the VA, um, compensation review. And so I had appointments that I had to make and Mm -hmm. it was a little bit intimidating actually to try to talk to my boss um, who was a C-suite level person to say, hey, I've got to go do these appointments and trying to figure that out. Yeah. And I don't think every company is quite so strict. It just seems that that's kind of where you landed. So we've talked a little bit about that first job and and I know it didn't go all that well. We've already kind of alluded to it, right? But tell us about that first job out of the military and, and how that went for you. So I was super excited. Um, You know, I was obviously feeling a little bit down with the Air Force because I I couldn't seem to make a senior master sergeant, right? So I hadn't finished my degree, um, even my undergrad. And and here's this big company, nationwide company that selected me to be their director of public relations. So I was giddy with excitement. But the structure really of the department, um, I was stepping into a new role that they hadn't fully developed. And I was going to work on a team of marketing professionals and marketing and PR are just different things. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's totally different. But I thought, I thought, you know what? I have been so successful in my Air Force career, except for at promotions, um, <laughs> that I'm going to be able to come in and, and rock this. Um, and it's completely different. It, it was so different to me that it wasn't about necessarily the PR. It was about what can you do to increase revenue for this company in your role as a PR person. So we had a, a couple of incidences when I was there that I worked for a massage company um, as their PR person. And mm-hmm. so there were a couple of incidences where um, there were allegations made about things that had happened behind the doors of a of a massage. And, you know, I was ready to go to get the press release together and make a statement. And there was no room for that. I mean, we had a standard can statement that we gave to absolutely everyone, regardless of the situation, whether it happened in New, in New York to one person or in Idaho with four people. It was the exact same can statement. And, and there was really no room for me to put my two cents in on, on what the process should, should look like. So, you know, I, I had been used to in the air force sharing my perspective 
and having it really make a difference. And that wasn't the case here. It was just a check the box, send this out and, and uh, move along to the next task. So you were the director of communications and they weren't letting you contribute to communications basically. Correct. It, mm-hmm. it was, it was an interesting position because like I said, it was new. So I was the director of PR and then the person who had kind of been doing that role was offered a position to, to work only internal communications. So she wasn't going to do any of the external stuff. And we had a PR firm in another part of the country. And that PR firm obviously had a really good relationship with the person who, who had been filling that role. And so instead of calling me, they would call her. And, and I was completely left out of the discussions. And uh, it was just, it was just an awkward, an awkward transition. Okay. So what ended up, ended up happening with that role? So um, I was there for about seven months and mm-hmm. I'd say probably three or four months into the, into the position, um, I started applying for other jobs. I knew that this wasn't going well. I was unhappy. It sounded super cool. It wasn't what it was meant to be. Um, so I started applying and interviewing for different roles. Um, and I went on a, a small vacation with my kids and came back to work, worked all day one day. Um, it was on a Monday. We were getting ready to have a meeting with our department. And so I started to walk out the door and my boss showed up at my door and she said, Hey, Cindy, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. So, you know, all my colleagues, my marketing colleagues were going down to the room to get ready for the interview. And I walked into my boss's office and the HR guy was there and I kind of looked around and sat down and she said, you know, after seven months, we've decided to, that we're going to part ways. Um, And I was I mean, I can't, I don't even know if I know all the emotions that I went through, but I got fired and I said, okay. And then eventually I asked, is there a reason? And she said, really, it's just not working out. And reflecting back, um, that's true. I mean, it just wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. I wasn't good for them. They weren't good for me, but wow, what a shocker. Yeah. Something you'd been so giddy and excited about and now they told you that it wasn't working, but you already knew that because you'd right. been looking and interviewing, but it's one thing for you to leave them and another thing for them to say, no, we're done. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, completely that was, different. How did you recover from that? Like what, what did you end up doing next? I mean, it was tough. It, it was, um, it was embarrassing. I was completely humiliated. I had people who in the air force, um, were cheering for me and so proud of me. Um, the guy who did my retirement ceremony bought me a pin set that said director on it. He was so proud. And so I had to deal with, with my own like grief of losing this and then worry about what everybody else was going to think that I had lost this job. Um, so I struggled for a bit and, you know, I continued to apply for jobs and, you know, there were a couple that, um, I interviewed for that. I thought, gosh, this is it, that this is going to work out. And then it, it didn't, I was actually at a, a place, uh, a wax place. And, and I ran into the owner who happened to be an owner of the same company that I had just left. And she asked me what I was doing. And I said, not really anything. I'm you know, I think I'm going to go to school. And she said, well, you should come to work here. And so I went from this corporate director of PR job for a nationwide company 
to working the front desk at a wax place to making, I don't know, it, I think I started at eight fifty an hour, $9 an hour, making appointments and checking people out in this business. And I needed that. Um, I, I definitely paid more in childcare than I, than I made at that job. But that first um, experience outside of the military had broken me so much that I really needed to succeed at something. Um, and I did really well in, in mm -hmm. that new role. It just, you know, wasn't anywhere near what I was hoping to be paid. So now we heard your bio earlier, so we know you bounced back very well and you went on to work for the state of Louisiana and now you work for the federal government as the, the um, communications director and the public affairs officer for the Phoenix VA. Um, have you found that working for the federal government is a better fit for you? Yes. Okay. I, I think, you know, I just didn't ever really feel like I fit in, in that civilian sector. The camaraderie is not there. The um, It's just a business transaction every day. And, and I was just really, really uncomfortable in that civilian capacity. Okay. So tell us about like the, the main differences in working for the federal government and just, you know, why, tell us a little bit about kind of what it's like to be a federal employee at the level that you are now. <laughs> it's funny. One of the first things that I think of, um, the frustrations are very similar. It's very bureaucratic <laughs> and, but I like being in that box. Really. I like, I like knowing the hierarchy. And, um, so that's what I experience here, even a little bit more so than at the state level. Um, but it, it was super interesting to work for the state of Louisiana for a couple of years and kind of get to know their processes and systems and, and ways of doing things. But being back in this federal government role, um, especially at the VA and being around so many veterans as former or as uh, fellow employees, as well as, as our customers, so to speak, um, it's just, it reminds me of my experience in the military. And, and um, so that, I think that's why I'm, I'm so comfortable here. Okay. What tips or tricks would you offer of, you know, you've obviously landed a, a federal government position. You've been promoted within that role. You've just recently received a new role, which is going to send you to Germany. What tips or tricks can you share for us about federal employment? So I'm a hiring official as well as someone who, who applies for jobs, right? Okay. So yeah. from both perspectives, I think I can give a little insight the first thing I would say is apply for jobs that you are qualified for or that really fit closely with your skill set. And then when you're applying for that job, I, I think sometimes the wording of the USA jobs questions can be really intimidating and misleading because, you know, when I apply for this job, tell us about your experience um, communicating a hospital's blah, blah, blah mission. Well, I've never worked for a hospital before. So automatically I might think, well, I'm not qualified for that role, but I am, I just have to remember to substitute my experience. I, I, I did all these things for, for the Air Force. And so when answering the questions, what I found is if, the, if you say, oh, I don't have any experience in, in hospital communications and you, and you mark that, um, you're going to self-eliminate before you even get to the process. So if everything else except for the organization 
fits what you've done, um, then mark yourself an expert and let them let them weed you out at the interview level because it's a computer system and it's going to knock you out if you say, I don't know how to do that. Now, if you don't know how to do that, don't falsify it. Right. But if you know how to do those things in the job description, um, get past the organization and what some of the questions are asking. So what you're talking about is that additional questionnaire that you have to fill out where you have to kind of mark yourself as an expert, or maybe you have some experience or you have limited experience, right? Where it's a multiple choice, right? And what I've heard is that if you don't mark yourself at that expert level, oftentimes you get eliminated from consideration. Is that correct? That is correct. You, you probably won't even make it to the referred list. Mm -hmm. Um, because you've, you've just said, I'm not the most qualified. And so they move on to the next person who's, who indicates that they are the most qualified. So you do need to mark yourself at that expert level, obviously, if it's true, correct? Correct. But I think, you know, some of the things when I first started applying for federal jobs, I really was thrown off by, you know, the tell us about the how you've done hospital communications and mm -hmm. I haven't done those things. But when you, when you look at it, if you replace that with, tell us how you've done communications for your organization, if you right. replace that word and you still can say, yes, I can do that. And I can do it at a very high level. Mm -hmm. Then you just say, um, I'm an expert. And then hopefully your, your resume is strong enough to make it to the interview portion. And so you make a good point in that you can't just mark yourself an expert. You also have to have evidence in your resume of when you have used those skills, correct? Correct. So as a hiring manager, I get the list from HR that says, okay, these are the 15 people who are the most qualified. And then I get a panel together who goes through and, and based on criteria that I set, grades the resumes. Um, gives a point value. Um, and then, you know, depending on the, how the points fall, it'll depend on how many people will, will interview in the end. Okay. So the federal resume, it's a whole nother animal, right? It can mm -hmm. be much longer than a private sector resume, um, where a private sector resume is never going to be more than two pages. A federal resume could be five, seven, nine pages if necessary, right? right? To be able to right. showcase your expertise. Correct. But I think there's a, there's definitely a, a balance between making it long enough to reflect your, your experience, but not too long. You know, I've, right. I've gotten some 16 to 20 page resumes and I'm, I'm done by then. Yeah. I, I don't need to know every single typing class you went to. You know, one of the things that kind of turns me off a little bit, to be honest with you, is when someone applies for a job like say here in my department in at the VA where there is no clearance required and they spend a couple of lines in their resume talking about their top secret clearance that has no bearing on this role so it tells me that you didn't really pay attention to the job description um to the job ad um and you're just throwing stuff in there that that doesn't help you in this position so just like in the private sector your federal resume should be targeted and relevant absolutely and what you have to remember when you're writing a federal resume is there is always a human that is going to read that resume, which isn't always the case in the private sector. The first eyes aren't necessarily always human. So keep in mind, there is a person reading it. You need to make it 
easy to read. You need to make it flow. It needs to be relevant. Mm -hmm. Those are all important things. So absolutely. Yeah. Don't throw the kitchen sink and everything else in there with it. Just focus it and on and target it toward that role because you're going to determine as the hiring authority from your cert list who you're going to interview. You don't have to interview all 15 of those people, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And, and really, you don't want to. Another tip I would say is like it'll ask you on the resume, is it okay to contact this supervisor from that particular position that you've held in the past? Mm -hmm. To me, as a hiring manager, it's okay to say, contact me first for the current role you're in. But if you say contact me first for previous roles that you've already left, I probably won't consider you. Okay. Because there could be a, a reason why they don't want their supervisor yeah, called. It, it, it would be odd to me. And I've seen resumes that, that have contact me first on every single position that they've ever had. And it just makes me wonder, what do you not want me to find out from your previous yeah. employer? Okay. So it's important to have references on your federal resume that you're open to having them be contacted. Correct. And so anytime you use a reference on an application or a resume, you absolutely should reach out to them, let them know you've used them as a mm -hmm. reference and make sure that you mark that they can be contacted. I think that's a great tip. Okay. Any other resume issues that you've seen, tips that you have that you like to offer? So, you know, in my role, it's, it's about communication. It's about writing and speaking and really a lot of, a lot of errors, you know, this is general stuff here, but a lot of errors in the resume, I really highly suggest you let someone else look at it, especially mm -hmm. if you've updated it in case you've spelled something incorrectly, just to try to get it through, let somebody else read it um, just to make sure that, that you're not making those errors. Okay. Excellent advice. So what about the federal interview process? What can you tell us about maybe the, the interview process in the federal government? The interview process is a performance-based interview. So tell me about a time that you encountered an, an angry veteran and what did you do and what was the result? So really a lot like performance reviews in the, in the military, the impact action and result or action impact result. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to talk about what you've done and how that how that impacted the organization um, that you've done that particular role. So when I'm getting ready for an interview, I like to look at the um, I think it's KSI's uh, knowledge skills, KSAs and abilities. KSAs. Yeah. There mm -hmm. you go. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I like to look at those and then go through those and come up with a couple of different scenarios based on my previous work to say, okay, I could use when I was in England for this one, I could use when I was deployed to, to Kyrgyzstan for this one. Um, it just have those in mind. So if they bring them up, because it, it's also not super helpful. If you get into an interview and they ask you a question, you're like, huh, well, let me, gosh, I need to think. And, it, <laughs> and I've been a part of interviews before where, um, the person uses the same example for every single question. Oh, well, you know, I just talked about the plane crash at Spangdalem Air Base, and, and that's actually a good example for this as well. Um, you need to have more. Yeah, the trick is you've done it more than one time, right? Right, <laughs> so, right. No, I think that's great advice. So have your stories ready. 
And I think that's great advice. Like look at those KSAs, those knowledge, skills, and abilities, those requirements, go through the questionnaire and look at what they put in that questionnaire, the, the questions and have stories ready to go. I don't know about you, but when I have to tell a story on the spur of the moment and I haven't prepared for it, I have a hard time remembering it. You know, the pressure, right. you're nervous. So if you've already got your stories written out and write them in that, you know, like you said, that star, that situation, task, action, result kind of formula, so you can take them through the story. Um, those behavior-based interviews that they do in, in the federal government, and it sounds like everyone is a beha behavior-based, right? Give me an example. Tell me about a time when, right? Mm -hmm. Those require stories. Right. And I think that's great advice to have those stories ready to go. So you, you can pick which story you want to tell based on the mm -hmm. question that's asked um, and then just relate it back to the question, but have them kind of filed away in your head. So they're like, okay, this is a great time to pull this story. All right, here's another story I can pull. So you're ready to go. And that, that is really good advice because it is, they are mostly behavior based, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So stories need to be ready to go. And are they always panel interviews in the federal government? My experience, yes. At least okay. the first round of interview, it's a it's a panel interview, and then if you move on to the next to the next step, it may be with with just a leadership position or something. But yeah, I, I'd say always a okay. panel interview. So almost always a panel interview, and you have to take as the interviewer, you have to take a lot of notes, right? Because you have mm -hmm. to give justification as to why correct you're hiring. Correct. So be ready for the people interviewing you to take profuse notes because, and maybe not necessarily make the greatest eye contact always because they're writing so, so much. Right. Um, and then also you have a very much of a structure, like you have to ask these questions and only these questions, right? Correct. So if, if I ask these five questions of, of a person of the first candidate, I have to ask those same five questions to the next candidate. If I ask a question, um, do you have a dog? And the candidate says, I have a cat. Um, I don't like animals. But I did once go to a zoo where I can't ask for clarification. So um, make sure that you're answering their question, even if you have to repeat it or ask them to repeat it. Make sure you respond to their question. Um, because if you don't get to the meat of what they're asking, you're probably going to lose points for that. And they can't mm -hmm. say, you know, you didn't really answer my question. They can't do that. They cannot ask a follow-up question. Like explain that for me, clarify this, that, that that's not possible, right? So, Correct. Okay. Do you have a time limit for interviews? Do they, because you have to ask the same five questions, do they all, they kind of go as long as they go? Is, is that, is that a, a thing that are they timed at all? But, I mean, it's, it's really up to the to the hiring official, how long they want the interviews to be. My interview with them on Friday was 15 minutes. Okay. And it freaked me out because <laughs> I've never taken part in a 15 minute interview. And so all the possibilities were running through my head about why. Um, and maybe this isn't important. I don't know. But after the interview, I mentioned that I was really nervous about it. And he said, um, we do that to see who can be succinct enough to work at this level of public affairs. Okay. 
Well, I appreciate you sharing some tips and tricks and insider info as both a job seeker and a hiring authority. I think that's really important because you have both perspectives. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. So as we wrap up today, I just want to give you the opportunity just to kind of share some of your biggest lessons learned. I mean, it sounds like you've had some some good lessons and some bad lessons along the way, but it's been an interesting adventure for you. So tell us about your transition and what you've learned that you want to share with the listeners. So, you know, I was trying to think about last night before this, um, about what I would change if, if I were to change anything. And to be honest, I don't think I would change. I don't think I would change anything except for maybe um, start starting to prep earlier before I decided to retire. When you do it just like that, it doesn't give you much of an opportunity to, to really figure out what you're doing. But I would probably still take the civilian job that I took because what it taught me was I shouldn't just shoot my resume out to absolutely everyone thinking that I'll just take whatever comes along. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard this from advice from you before that you're really interviewing the company as much as they're interviewing you. And so now I only look for roles that make sense for me. I'm much more strategic in what I apply for because I've been miserable in a job. And when you're in a, in an area where they can fire you for no reason, for a reason or no reason, it's devastating. Um, so I, I'm much more picky on, on what I apply for and the organizations I apply to. I think that's important to just be judicious about, make sure that it's something that you're really interested in and will make you happy. And I bet you can look back now on what happened with that first company and know that it was absolutely the right thing to do, right? I mean, we can always look back with hindsight, but. Absolutely. Yeah. I have no regrets from that time frame. And leaving there was just as good for you probably as getting that job was, honestly. It, it was. It was hard to see that in the beginning, um, mm-hmm. but it ended up being probably the best thing for me. Um, and it led me back to where I am now. And, you know, I'm happy. I'm so much happier here. That's good. That's important. And I think that I want you to everyone to listening to know that you deserve to be happy in what you're doing. And if you're not happy, then look for something different. I know that loyalty is ingrained in you as a veteran, especially as someone who served 20 plus years of their life to our country. But you really do deserve to like what you're doing in the next phase of your career. And so really strive for finding something that makes you want to get up and go to work and enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, I I would say the last, um, the last tip I have, if you're interested, especially in federal government, if you haven't gone to school, don't take this as a, um, a negative, but a lot of times when we're rating resumes, there's a question on education. So you'll get points if you have an associate's, a bachelor, a master's degree. So really, especially those of you still on active duty who who are looking to get out, try to get as much of that schooling done as you can while it's being completely paid for. That way that you, you won't lose out on points for not having a degree. Okay. I think that's good advice. Um, take time for yourself. 
correct to finish your education absolutely yes. like yep. you know I, um i had derek moore on a couple episodes ago and he's completed his doctorate degree um while in the marine corps so i know it can wow. be done it just takes some work obviously and some sacrifice and extra time but i do believe that in the long run it will add some value especially like you said in the federal government where you get additional points for having that education completed. So, well, I just want to say thank you for bringing your unique perspective as both a job seeker and a hiring authority in the federal government. And thanks for telling us your personal story about what happened with that first job. And I'm, I know it kind of stings, but I think in the long run, it was probably the best thing that could have happened for you and the rest of your career. Cause I think you've pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and done just fine since then. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Lessons Learned for Vets. If you learned just one lesson today that you believe can help smooth your path during your transition from the military, then I have done my job. If you haven't already, please click subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, leave us a review and share our podcast with your friends. Connect with me on LinkedIn and join the Lessons Learned for Vets Facebook community to tell me what lesson you learned today. See you next time.